we go again, feeling ready to begin. Listen up, push play, and plug your headphones in. Another draft has come to pass. Now build your deck, ascend the ranks, let Jeff and Sean pitch in. Yeah, just let us pitch in. Help you out. That's why we're here. Yeah, yeah, shout. Let me hear you shout. Hey, hey. Welcome, everybody. Hey. Magic Arena Drafting Club. I'm Jeff. We have a very special guest this week. Uh, first of all, Sean is with us as always. How are you doing, Sean? Yeah, I'm not the special guest. Um, I'm good. I'm very good. Thank you. We have a much more special guest here this morning with us. Once again, you've made us get up bright and early. <laughs> to, uh, no, it wasn't me. I'm, 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 don't get me wrong. I'm fine with the time. I've already been up for an hour and a half, but it's not me. We're talking to a vampire here. No, it's always That's you. Right. <laughs> No, uh, we have Deathsea back. Vincent, uh-huh. Vincent Chu, thank you so much for coming back. Welcome. Yo, thanks for having me back, guys. And yeah, I am a vampire for the most part, but um, yeah, man, that's the way I like my life. You know, vampire, it, it just feels so good to live during the daytime. It's almost like, uh, it's almost like you're breaking the very rules of, of society, you know? You're kind of not allowed to do that, but uh, here I am. Sounds like a sociology major. <laughs> the trends and just observing the rest of us now right. i i hear that you're uh you're sweating pretty hard uh this morning i suppose your night but this morning now did you figure out which brother broke your ac unit uh yeah i only have one brother here living at our house but uh it's oh man it has been a complete nightmare and we so we have like this facebook group for our family and we got into this giant fight Oh, awesome. Because, uh, yeah, amazing, right? And <laughs> so for those of you who don't know, my uh, so my brother, he um, while he was cleaning the yard, he accidentally put like this, this like giant planter on top of my uh, air conditioning unit. And so that fried my AC and um, I, it won't be able to be fixed until probably Thursday, uh. which is honestly quite quite fast but um it won't be able to be fixed till thursday and it costs like seven grand to replace it oh my god and the thing was that i got pretty upset because the thing is that um there was no apology there was no confession (laughs) or anything right so i was like all right well you know silence is a very strange way to apologize (laughs) you know as a snarky person that i am that's probably not the best way to do it but you know i was very upset and that was me trying to restrain myself and so that ended with a flurry of uh, both my brothers, even the one who doesn't live with us, uh, apparently calling me an asshole for, for, you know, for even suggesting that that's something that you should apologize for. And this is all on Facebook, right? Yeah, it was oh, all I love on Facebook. It. So I now it. I can't stream for like three days, seven grand down the drain. And apparently I'm the asshole here. Oh. So... Yeah, it's uh. it's it's really weird because I guess I've changed a lot over the years, especially with uh, Magic the Gathering, you know, dealing with Twitch chat and stuff like that, <laughs> where it's at some point you just run out of, you know, craps to give when people have their BS. And it's just, I don't know. I just, I just don't want to live in that way where it's like you just have to, I don't know. Why don't you just have to be like that? Early on, I know you would just deal with that uh, by just saying hello. When any, whenever anybody was like saying something uh, or doing something ridiculous, you just hello, and it would make me laugh every single time. <laughs> but I imagine that only works for so long, huh? It, Sean even yeah. talked about that. We both talked about whether we would ever want to stream. And one thing Sean said was, he's like, I don't know 
how if I could deal with like people trolling me online or anything like that. I think that what I do these days, instead of saying hello, I'm just like, no, <laughs> like, no. And then when something is actually like a valuable discussion, when someone brings up a good point, then we're like, oh, yeah, well, I definitely can see that. And then we kind of explore the possibilities of that. But sometimes it's like, would, would you like to pack one pick three a pyroceratops? No, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm probably never going to do that. Like, no matter what changes in my life, that is going to be a constant. I'm not going to pick a pack three uh, pyroceratops. Pick one pack three pyroceratops. So. Well, I'm sorry to hear uh, that that's broken, especially the money. That really sucks. Um, and plus, I've lived uh, uh, on the top floor of a building before and know that, you know, it gets the hottest up there. Oh, so it doesn't yeah, sound yeah. enjoyable at all. 90, 90 degrees Fahrenheit here in my room right now. And uh, I still need to be in here to do work and stuff. It's just really hard to stream. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, yeah. I, I, apart from that, I'm doing great. I'm always doing great, which is kind of weird. Um, this kind of person I am. I'm just kind of always happy, even though it doesn't look like it. I'm always happy and angry, I guess, at the same time. Well, you, you roll with the punches, right? That's one impression I've gotten. Uh, yeah, basically, basically. Um, I don't really care too much about the formalities and stuff. Uh, I like to, you know, kind of get to the nitty gritty. And um, Me too. I like that too. I it's appreciate just, that. Life is too short, man. Which is why I think that the older people get, you know, there's always like the depiction of the of the old person, the shotgun on their uh, board. Right. <laughs> but um, you know, like the longer life goes on, I just feels it just feels like you're you just get tired, you know. You're like, right. oh man, can't deal with it anymore. And you're only 29. You're already feeling like stuff that I realized. I think I was I hit my midlife crisis at 38. I would say, and that's probably okay. when I started to realize that stuff because I think. A lot of people crave um, validation and it kind of starts to peak around like high school. I'm just talking about like the average person mm -hmm. where you need to feel like you have a place in this world and that you fit in and then that everybody like validates you and you, you feel good that you fit in. But then what happens is as you get older and older and I don't know why this happens, but eventually you don't care what other people think anymore. It just yeah. matters less and less and less and less. And uh, I think that's also a pattern that happens with people over time. Yeah, I definitely agree with that as well. Um, I think that the thing that I value most these days is probably hard work. Um, I know in the last episode, we talked about talent and how I believe that like talent is completely overrated. Right. Uh, I, I just really like seeing people just doing the things that they want to do. Obviously, again, with having um, everything else taken care of, like there, there are things they have to do and then things that you want to do. And I really respect when people... Um, essentially try to juggle both of those. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, we're actually trying to do that right now. Um, uh, we are trying to go daily or every other day, which I don't think there's another limited podcast out there doing right now. So we're trying to accomplish it through sheer like brute force and hard work. Cause I do believe that that can just get it done sometimes. But, um, Hey, let's, yeah. uh, you guys are ready to pivot to Aquaria. Cause I know our fans, sure. mm -hmm. um, I, I want to, if it were me, I just want to talk to you and I want to learn about you. Um, I know everybody listening is probably dying to hear, um, your opinions on Aquaria because you're kind of considered. Oh, the, I've got a lot of them. Yeah. Oh, good. Good. So, uh, Sean, I know you, I just, I, we made you wake up. God, it's, um, it's 6 a.m. Where, where we just got Sean to wake up. So I, I'm assuming you got a couple sips of your coffee. I know you said you had some Aquaria questions for Desi. Oh, yeah. We got all kinds of questions for Desi today. I mean, <clears throat> I, I would love to hear you 
um, give me a simple breakdown, but you know, from what I understand to you, you not, not that you struggled in the beginning, but maybe you, you were experimenting. We were talking about this a little bit the other day. We all watch you. So we watch your record go from, you know, your five and four, five and threes or four and threes to seven and oh, seven and oh, seven and oh, seven and oh. So yep. first of all, how, how do you make that flip? Are you experimenting in the beginning? Are you just trying every card out? Are you testing your theories? How does that work for you? Oh, yeah, of course. So I think that one of the things that I guess I have the luxury to do, which I, I understand a lot of people don't have in the same capacity as I do as a full time Magic the Gathering content creator. Um, but uh, in the same vein, I do really encourage people to, especially in the beginning of a format to try things out. That's the most fun that, that, that you can ever have doing anything in life is when a new format comes out and you really want to just experiment and um, see just how good or how bad things are because there is a narrative that I that is uh, essentially banned in my channel which is this sort of narrative that cards are simply good or simply bad because we always need to think about the context in which they're good and why they're good and why a 3-3 in Aquaria means differently than a 3-3 in M20 and a 3-3 in War of the Spark. And uh, we need to really uh, dive deeply into how that impacts the meta and also uh, what the format, what the shape of the format really looks like. So um, one of the cool things about new sets is that the terrain is always different. And what I mean by terrain is that uh, the feeling of the format, it, every, everything is different. Even though it's the same Magic the Gathering that, we, that we've been playing for a long time, that we know and love. Uh, you know, when in Rome do, or I guess in this case, when in Aquaria do as the Aquarians do. <laughs> um, so talking about experimenting, the four or five cards in this set that I still have not really touched with a 10 foot pole. I suppose I did with one of them, but I'm just scared of them. And to me, they scream death sea because they're all <laughs> these complex build arounds in my opinion that look pretty bad on surface if you don't know what you're doing. So can we talk a little bit about the uh, three wedge rare enchantments? And um, so for example, there's the one in Jeskai where you can draw a card Sure. Roll in denial. Yeah, and then you have like the uh, the one where you can like uh, surveil cards into your graveyard and then get cards back. You know, there's one of these in every. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then you have the one where every time a creature dies, you can get like a uh, a token mm -hmm. of it back. That's a one one. So, have you played with all these? Are they good? Are there only a couple that are good? And I can go. I kind of want to even know deeper than that. Like, how do you make them good? It just just riff riff on that if you could because I, I haven't really played yeah. with these at all they scare me okay so i think that that leads us to a very very important discussion of this format where uh this format it seems to be like or and especially in the beginning it seemed to be like a very multicolor format where you where uh a lot of times my experimentations with decks in the beginning were the four or five color decks um because i would say that that's probably my favorite archetype just like five color jank um, but the thing is that this format, it actually is very much, I would say a two color format. So for the, for the most part, the, mo the majority of your decks should just be two color decks. And by majority, I mean, probably like 80% of your decks should just be two color decks, hmm. uh, which is very surprising because you see everyone at Magic Arena would go like, uh, you know, forest, swamp, island, right. <laughs> which, um, you know, just Magic Arena things, but, um, it's. 
it is very important to just keep most of your decks at two colors. And then every once in a while, you can splash over to a third color if your fixing is good enough, or if your deck is slow enough, or if uh, you really lack that power level in order to just keep it as a reasonable two-color deck that can actually get you there, can get you that trophy. So bringing these uh, sort of wedge enchantments into the equation, I think that some of these are better than others. And I would say that the majority of the time, none of them are good. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. So it's a situation where these cards are either, which is funny because I was just talking about this. This is actually a situation where the cards are either bad or they're good. And they can be both depending on the deck. So um, I've had some really, really sweet control decks with Whirlwind of Thought where okay. uh, I actually had to run like 45 cards, 50 cards, because I was drawing my entire deck the entire like every single game, I was drawing my entire deck with Whirlwind of Thought. I had yeah, and the ultimatum. I've done that to myself too. I couldn't yep. cast the ultimatum because I'm like, well, if I do this, I'm gonna deck myself in two turns. Yep, exactly. And I think that's one of the cool things about Recent Limited, which it kind of breaks down that that perspective that you have to always be forty cards. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, so <laughs> it was like yeah. I also had a Runus. Sorry, not Runus. A um, Inspired Ultimatum, which is the Jeskai one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I had a uh, Lutri as my companion. And so obviously I had cards like Cathartic Reunion. I had, uh, like of what minds and boon of the wish giver. So I just had so much card draw on my deck that I was decking myself out every single time before my opponents could kill me. Um, so in that, in that deck, it was actually a pretty sweet engine because it, because I could actually reliably draw my entire deck and then yeah. I had a game plan based around that. Um, but if you can imagine for most decks that are any sort of those color combinations splashing for that card, for example, if you were like a red white deck splashing blue for yeah. whirlwind of thought, or if you were a blue white deck splashing red for whirlwind of thought, for the most part, it's really hard to get those stars to align unless you are that kind of derpy control deck that can sit back and just do nothing forever. Right. And a lot of times by the time you get it out your hands almost empty anyway yep. so it's sometimes not great especially if you go land land after that or something so uh do you tend to put in just a lot of interaction and a lot of cheap cards in this type of deck that wants to play whirlwind is it do you try to keep your curve really low since you are drawing so many cards so you can like double and triple spell exactly so that's one of the main issues about these cards and they all kind of fit in a very similar type of deck right where it's like it's a control deck that wants to actually go really long and wants to grind out your opponents of value right now the problem with all these enchantments is the existence of one archetype here in Aquaria that you yeah. know everyone is quite familiar with now but uh, that is the red white cycling deck and um i have some pretty hot takes on the red white cycling deck as well oh good because <laughs> sean doesn't think it's very good i've been trying to you know it, early on i felt like i was doing some insane things with this deck mm -hmm. and i'm like this deck is absolutely ins I, you know this is like cube this is incredible and i was ranting to sean you know this is so good this is so good mm -hmm. um but uh, I do think it's pretty cut now. Uh, curious to hear what you have to say about that. Yeah, definitely. So we'll save that for a little bit later. But uh, long story Ooh. short is that this deck is so powerful and it's so pervasive that it actually warps the entire meta. Um, so the existence of red-white, actually it lowers the, I guess, the efficacy or, the, um, or just the raw potential of these wedge enchantments. Okay. And it's really, really hard to be playing decks uh, that are essentially just 
uh, folding to these um, faster decks that have reach, that have uh, ways to tap down your creatures, ways right. to get through damage. So you really can't like play a game where you just play against a deck and you play a Death's Oasis and right. try to get value when your creatures die because a lot of times your creatures aren't even dying. Like right. they're just tapping down all your stuff with snare tacticians and stuff. So um, that's kind of the bottom line of those three color enchantments. I think that I would have a very different opinion of that if uh, in another universe, in another uh, dimension or another timeline where um, that red white deck was a little bit weaker and we could actually explore some of these uh, slower control archetypes. So even because the Mardu times, one, huh? I thought the Mardu one might be good. It's just I wasn't using it right because there's such a good sack deck. I figured mm -hmm. that would just slot in there perfectly. But even that one's too slow, huh? Yeah, kind of. So the Mardu one is really, really interesting. It's called Offspring's Revenge, and it's yeah. actually a very powerful card. Um, it is extremely good against lower decks. So if you're playing best of three and you're right. playing against uh, someone who's like playing like a Soulside Control deck, well, bore that card in because a lot of times they just can't beat all of these things coming back, um, especially when they come back with some sort of abilities like a General's Enforcer, for example, that continues to get more value after that. Yeah. Um, or there's something like a day squad marshal that comes back and makes multiple bodies. So, so it is a very, very good kind of a mid range grinding tool to beat some of these slower decks. But again, is that if you're playing against these faster decks, sometimes it'll be like, well, you'll play the offspring's revenge and, and you'll get like one or two tokens. If that, and you'll probably just be dying because yeah. you basically spent five mana on something that is realistically um, an investment into the long run into the future. But, um, you know, with the red-white cycling, sometimes we don't have a future. <laughs> but red-white cycling sucks, right, Sean? You beat it every time? Yeah, yeah, every single time. No, it's not that it sucks. I just, I think what happens for me is that uh, it gets into the meta and then you see everybody just trying to overly draft it. And I, I just play against so many decks that are, they're not built right, I guess. And so it's, it's, I like it when it happens because it means easier no victories for me. Yeah, it's really interesting for me because um, the red-white deck has gone from, in the beginning, I was like, well, you know, a Zenith Flare is an uncommon. It's really hard to get that. And uh, you're going to have to draft not knowing if you're going to get it or not. And now I am basically having the opposite opinion where I'm like, oh my goodness, this deck needs like, needs like two prickly marmosets and um and a bagel you know what i mean and that's basically good enough with random cycler cards the majority of the good commons in the format uh, are red white in my opinion like cards like fire prophecy cards like um Dranith stinger that yeah. very often Dranith stinger eats like a blood curdle you know what i mean yeah it's so um, good snare tactician uh i had I had one game where I had like, I had what, I don't remember what it was. I think it was like my frontland Felidar down and they had a snare tactician and I was like, well, <laughs> I guess their snare tactician is better than my rare, than my S, than my S2 right. rare. Yeah, and, the, uh, I don't see too many tacticians anymore though. Usually when I go for the cycling deck these days, mm -hmm. I end up with like one tactician. Um, yeah, but I, I think the bottom line is that you don't really need it. Uh, and uh, your deck just gets better and better once you get those tacticians, once you get those Zenith flares or the reptilian reflections. But I've, I've been playing some red-white decks that are a little bit more mid-range. Yeah. Where it is the same cycling deck where you have the Marmon sets and stuff like that. But 
sometimes you don't get those uh, finishers or I right. guess as, as people will say, they, it would be like, well, you're missing the payoffs, right? You have all the cycling, but you don't have the payoffs. Right. Um, but in that scenario, I found it very successful to just be running your Tigerillas, you know, okay. four band of four threes to be running, uh, like a little bit more land than usual. And then yeah. try to risk assess that back with having like one or two cathartic reunions in your deck. Okay. And, uh, actually trying to cast like these lava serpents, trying to cast these Vantasaurs. Um, a lot of times you just play like, you know, two drop, three drop into Tigerilla. And then on six, you play a lava serpent and it's still actually extremely good. Okay, so um, I, I love this because I've I think this is the way to go with this deck since it is being cut. You just have to augment it in different ways. I have a couple other questions for you. Is um, sure. uh, is the one that makes two one ones uh, forbidden friendship? Would that work in this deck as a filler since it's just two extra bodies on the ground or not so much? Yeah, so that is a great question. I think that forbidden friendship gets better the more spell eater wolverines you get. Okay. Um, Spellier Wolverine really wants you to get those instant sorceries uh, out quickly. And uh, obviously there's always a cost of cycling, even, even if it is very marginal, but um, the, the, the forbidden friendship is already a card that is reasonable. Um, my, so the co-host for my, for my podcast and I, Ryan Sachs, we thought that uh, the forbidden friendship was going to be a very core part of of the set since you oh, know, yeah. it gives you something to mutate onto i've listened to the pod ryan loved that card yeah 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 and we thought that that was going to be a really really a uh, core part of the format um but it turns out for the most part mutate is to some degree a scam right uh and also it doesn't play out the way that we expect but still you know two mana for uh two one ones uh it matches up reasonably well in this format there are three ones and stuff like that uh, boot nippers, for example, you trade half of that card of the boot nipper. But uh, for the most part, I think that that card is just a filler card. Um, it can be replaced with basically anything like Savai Sabretooth. Uh, it can be replaced with, I don't know what other derpy, like two drops there are in the format. But right. Sabretooth is the 3 1, right? Yeah, it's a 3 1, right, which right. Okay. actually matches up pretty poorly against the, the Forbidden Friendship. Right. But, we, um, we put the one-two tapper in the cycle deck as a filler, okay. or is it just bad in that deck? I think it's perfectly fine. That's okay. uh, that's kind of the example of like just that kind of filler slot that you don't really need much, right? It's like uh, you you know you grab a, you grab a bagel, you grab some cream cheese. It doesn't <laughs> matter what it is. It's it is it is gonna get you you know that quick that quick uh, lunch you need or whatever. Sean, what's your favorite bagel? I'm talking the type of bagel <laughs> and the toppings. Break it down. Oh, it's uh, BLT on onion. Whoa. Right. I've seen you order uh, BLTs at restaurants, and didn't you say it's one of those things where most restaurants can't mess it up? Yeah, you can't really mess that up. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah, there's, All right. there's uh, chef tips for you there. So uh, always get the BLT because they can't mess it up. And what about, do you always get the special or is that the stuff that's getting a little old? So sometimes you want to avoid the special. Usually depends on the day of the week, but normally <laughs> I avoid the special. You normally you would avoid it? Yeah. Yeah, because it's getting a little old. Like the fish is starting to turn a little bit. So like special time, baby. Yeah, you're at, generally at your diners and things like that, you're not going to want to eat the, the, the Saturday night special. But um, at your high-end restaurants, yeah, eat the special. Oh, man. I personally like the everything bagel. I, I don't know exactly what everything topping is, but uh, <laughs> it is something that probably came off the side of a meteorite that hit planet Earth like <laughs> a thousand years ago. Something really insanely out of this world, and there's a limited supply of it. I don't know what it is, but. That is exactly right, actually. 
Do you have any? Well, now, now you put me off on a tangent, Sean. It's going to be oh your responsibility God. to get us back to Aquaria if that's where you want this. Okay, mutate. To go. Oh, hold mutate. on. No, I, I have a question first. All right. All right. Um, how, Dusty, speaking of the bagel meteorite, how, do you have any theories on how you think life on Earth started? Like, do you think the idea of like a, a pan, what is it, panspormia, like, like a, a meteor hit here and it had water and life on it and that started everything? Or are we, uh, did somebody, live on Mars and then they came here and do you have any, I, what's, what's your take on all that? Or did I think it that's just really all- cool. Um, it's, it, it's a very cool topic and I'm certainly, and, and I think it's very, very interesting. That being said is that it actually doesn't matter that much to me though. It is fun to think about, but um, for the most part, I think that's, I've got no idea, but I do buy <laughs> into the sort of a, you know, the evolution over millions of years kind of thing. Um, yeah, but, just- um, Kind of what we've proven with science then, right? That we know that there was uh, there was water at some point, you know, that, that yeah. formed through the uh, atmosphere. All right. Okay. Yeah. Not, yeah. not the um, best question, Jeff. Wow. Not the best question. I mean, I mean, I mean, it's not very exciting, but the thing is that I do wish that there were more. I would love to meet aliens and stuff one day. Uh, one, of my, one of my ultimate dreams is to become like some sort of uh, s- some sort of like space checking sociologist who you know, goes to different planets and societies and stuff and basically um, uh, basically uh, studies the societies and brings them back to Earth, kind of the ultimate storyteller, you know. Um, but, yeah, honestly, I've got no idea <laughs> where we came <laughs> from. I think it's really cool to think about, though. Um, I, always, I always think it's very interesting just to think that there's much more than, uh, than we currently – believe there to be just because i think it's not that exciting if we're just living in living in a life where we're like all right well everything's been figured out everything's been discovered nothing left on earth for us to think about and we're just living in this world where there's uh essentially no wonder left right no splendor uh left there and that's kind of part of my philosophy that ties back into what we're talking about before about um about uh, trying to discover stuff, right? Like the exploration phase of it. So uh, I think it's very, very cool to um, have these dreams and hope that, you know, we really did come from some different planet, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I've got no idea. Um, to, to go back to the, something you had mentioned earlier about how this format really wants you to play two colors. Could, could you expand on that thought a little bit and talk about maybe some of the color pairs you find to be more powerful? Yeah, so it's it's really interesting because my philosophy in this format, uh, which will sound very jokingly, but um, it you know it's only partially joking, but um, is that essentially your best thing that you can do in this format is to open and force a companion, or get past a companion and then force it. Secondly, it is to backdoor into cycling decks. Um, for the most part, I don't like the majority of the green decks and the blue decks and, and all these normal decks that aren't a companion deck or a cycling deck in this format, which uh, is a little bit depressing maybe because that, you know, once people pick up on that, you, you should assume that your win rates uh, for, for, for people in the know, right? So, for, for example, right now I'm like, I probably have like a 77, uh, close to 80% win rate right now in High Mythic or, or whatever over like dozens of drafts. Um, but the thing is that once people figure that out, that that's the way that you're supposed to play this format, uh, then things are going to get very, very difficult. And I think that um, it's going to be more, I guess, 
uh, luck based for people who can actually audit into the uh, cycling deck or for people who actually get those companions. Um, so people ask me this quite often. They're like, all right, so outside of those, what color combination do you like? For the most part, I don't really like any of them. I think that the black white deck is something like the black white humans deck is something that comes close. Uh, though that deck, you do need to find those payoffs. You need to find like the Bastion of Remembrance. You need to find the Sanctuary Lockdown. Um, and outside of that, if you don't find those, then you're just going to have a deck just of black and white magic cards, right? It's just magic cards until you actually get a real deck together. And I feel like for the most part in this format is that sometimes you don't get there and you just have magic cards in a deck. Um, so the green black deck will often look like that where it's like, well, you got a green black deck, but it's just green, green and black magic cards. You don't have a back for more. You don't have like an unbreakable bond to try to reanimate stuff. No real way to spike that power. Um, so that's, so that's kind of my view on <laughs> this format, which is a, maybe like a pessimistic view, but, uh, that's really so how I see this format and color combinations. Okay. Thank you. And, um, do you, how about mutate? I know a lot of people are struggling with mutate. A lot of our listeners struggle with when to play or not to play. And I know you said it's a trap a lot of the time. Uh, we've talked a little bit about some of that too, but can, can you explain why you think it's a trap or why it is a trap and, and then maybe when you should be using and how you should be using mutate creatures? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for the most part, I think that most of the mutate creatures are relatively low powered. Um, your best mutate decks are, are going to be the ones that have essence symbiotes and far finders and uh, where you can actually like curve out and mutate in a meaningful way. So a lot of times, uh, a lot of times people will lose games and they'll be like, well, I don't really understand why I lost that game because I went like, uh, frost links into mutate, like a cavern whisper. And I thought I got all this value and I'm playing this format the way that, um, you know, the way that Morrow and, uh, and the rest of the Watsi um, R&D team uh, designed it to be, right? You know, it's like mutate, mutate, mutate. That's what this format's all about. And I'm not winning games. I don't understand why that's happening. But if you really look at it, it's like if, you're, if your mutate targets aren't good and if you're not actually mutating in a meaningful way, and that may include fading removal or uh, being proactive, maybe going first, maybe you're prone stumbling, is that upgrading a lot of these creatures into just like slightly better creatures with a slight advantage really doesn't fit that well into this format, especially again with the red-white cycling deck where uh, you really get punished for having only one thing, right? Or having only a few things. So in this format, it's very, very awkward to actually, um, to actually get rewarded very often for mutate. So very often it's going to be some sort of a temple loss in terms of you putting out, you spending more mana than actually what you're getting on board. For example, Frost Links to Cavern Whisper, you basically get plus two plus two of stats, right? For essentially a whole four mana turn. And that's the best case scenario, right? So um, you, there's a lot of lost value in terms of mutate that uh, people don't often see. Now, of course, sometimes you have like a space hysterics. Uh, sometimes you go off with a trumpeting gnar. Um, uh, on like, like, like sometimes you'll play a trumpeting gnar and it's not going to get um, answered. And then you're going to just have like this really sweet game of mutate, mutate, mutate. Or in a perfect environment, in a perfect world, you can mutate your bone, your lurker, and get back your other mutate stuff and go off. But the reality doesn't really play out that way. And for the most part, it's hard to get those stars to align uh, with 
any sort of mutate game plan. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, thank you for bringing it, breaking it down like that. It's, it, it makes it easier to understand. So now that I know that you're looking to either go into cycling or a companion deck, I'm wondering how you approach the first couple picks. And so in general, let's say in the first couple picks, you're not seeing any of the clear directions you want to go. Um, are there cards in those colors you don't like so much that will pull you in? Like, do you really love Essence Scatter or, or do you really love Ram Through? Or are these cards just not pulling you into those colors and you're going to continue to hedge away from like the Simic area? Exactly, exactly. So um, even though Essence Scatter is one of the best blue commons and Ram Through is likely the best green common, um, those are not enough to actually sway me into those colors. And that says a lot about those colors, I think. It says a lot about those strategies. The way that I draft this format, and it's actually very, it's very, very peculiar because I think that it's such a deep drafting format in the sense that, uh, especially if you don't open these companions and if you don't open up like a Zenith Flare or something, it's going to be kind of hard to navigate the draft format. So the way that I like to do it, and it's, and I will say that it is easier said than done, um, is that I try to actually leave myself open to as many archetypes that I like as possible. So what I mean by that is like, uh, say in, um, say like early on in pack one, uh, I, am, I, I obviously don't get a companion, right? So I'm looking at what I want. So I'm actually going to pick up these, uh, these cyclers, these one-mana cyclers that I think are very, very good because they're not only good in that color, but also it's good if you are playing the cycling deck. Right. So, so one good example of that is like a memory leak or a, uh, or a gopher blood. Right? So I will pick those up, say, over another one-mana cycler, which is like a Frostville ambush. Okay? So that is going to leave me open to not only the cycling deck, but also leading me into certain archetypes that I like. Because I like, like, I like these kind of black-red decks or these um, sometimes like even like a red-blue deck or something that has maybe like a prickly marmoset in it or yeah. it'll have like... Um, or even the spell eater wolverines as long as you yeah, start playing all these spells. Exactly. And, and then even if you don't have that, the gopher blood is actually a fine, a pretty good removal spell if you're right. black-red. So I'm, I'm essentially trying to leave myself open for as many different archetypes that I like as possible. And uh, this, is, this, is a, this is a video that I made on YouTube, if anyone wants to check it out. It's called Drafting the Sleazy Way. Um, and that's essentially how I like to draft, because until I find a lane that I like, I'm trying to maximize all the lanes, I'm trying to keep my options open. And I know that that's something that we talk about a lot in Magic, where it's like, oh, yeah, well, we got to try to stay open. But essentially, what does that mean, right? Um, I, I, I personally like to take that to the absolute maximum until we actually, until I actually find a lane and then I buckle down into that. And sometimes I don't even find that lane until like the middle of pack three, right? which is insane for a lot of people. Right. Um, but especially with all these one really mana cyclers, it's just keeping you open, right? Cause they can be off color and you can still make playables sometimes. Yeah, exactly. But one thing to, uh, to be careful about in this format is that, I have tried basically every single archetype, just essentially playing all the one mana cyclers and then playing that deck, right? So the philosophy that I had was, all right, well, maybe since 40 cards is the way that we like to play limited, essentially what that means is that we're trying to, we are trying to make our deck as small as possible because it makes our deck the most consistent, right? And consistency is better. 
So these are the sort of uh, narratives that I began the format with. And I was trying to experiment how if I'm playing black, uh, like a black green deck, can I just play like, like my 10 one mana cyclers and then have a 30 card black green deck? And is that going to be better than the 40 card one? Right. And um, over, over a lot of experiments, over trying a lot, a lot of different things, uh, my bottom line, my simple answer for that is no. It's still not worth just playing these cyclers. Uh, for the most part, if they actually don't have an impact, either being able to be cast or uh, not having any cycling payoffs. So I think it's very important to keep that in mind. So when I'm trying to actually leave myself open for a lot of different archetypes, it is uh, keeping that in mind as well, that I actually want to pick up some cycling cards that are actually playable. So there's quite a lot of these cyclers that are very good because they're also just good magic cards as well. So again, Memory Leak, uh, Gopher Blood, Dranith Healer, Dranith Stinger, these are, these are some really good examples of, uh, of cards that actually just can be played. Um, even something like a Startling Development, which is the blue one mana cycler, that yeah. one is actually, uh, that, that one I cast a lot more than you would expect as well. Yeah, I've done it on, um, what is that, Dorian the Friendly Pet or whatever, yeah. because then you get the counters on top of it as well. That can be devastating sometimes. Yep, exactly. Um, so if you're in the cycling deck and you're trying to, you know, you're in it hard, let's say you first pick a Zenith flare or something, sure. will you play off color cyclers that are two mana, like the green one that destroys an artifact mm -hmm. or enchantment, or is that a step too far for you? Yeah. So that's a very good question. And I think that that's one thing that people <laughs> for, for a lack of a better way to say it is that people are behind on the technology, right? P people are behind on the technology of like where cycling should be. Um, I think that uh, people are probably playing their, their, their off-color two-mana cyclers too much, provided that they have uh, enough one-mana cyclers. A lot of times, I think that these two-mana off-color cyclers do, are, are going to have diminishing returns. Um, even if you have a lot of payoffs, a lot of times it's going to be better to think about how your games are going to play out, where like a two-mana cycler may just be worse at some point than a ferocious tigerilla. Right. Because if you think about it, well, you're paying half of a Ferocious Tigerilla. Why not pay like another two mana and just play a Ferocious Tigerilla? Or um, land count is a very important one in the cycling decks as well, where the cycling decks, a lot of times people are, are, are uh, opting out for the 12, 13 land decks. I actually like the 14, 15 land decks with Cathartic Reunion in it because okay. a lot of games, I'm just casting my Lava Serpents. Right. You know what I mean? So... Um, there's there's a very very different discourse on cycling that I don't t uh, technically subscribe to. Um, I really like to play out my three drops and then start cycling. Right, like I don't actually want to cycle to find my land drops. Right, I, I would rather like hit my stuff on curve, hit the ground running, and then uh, have these cathartic reunions in the deck to pitch the extra lands later. Um, okay, yeah. so, so that's kind of my philosophy. I want to go even deeper now. Now we're getting into real deep tech, like 1% tech. Will you play Evolving Wilds or a Boros Gainland in a cycling deck, or is that too slow because it comes into play tapped? That is, that is, a, that is a fantastic question. So to begin with, uh, I would like to take a quick look back into the past at um, Guilds of Ravnica. So in Guilds of Ravnica, the best decks were Boros and Demir both being incredibly fast decks that just wanted to, wanted to play their stuff on curve. So in that format, of course, we had Guild Gates that came untapped, but made both colors of mana. In those decks, um, 
I tried for a long time playing like basically all the mana fixing because the mana is actually very intense in a lot of these aggressive decks in essentially any format. Uh, you know, Gruul is a good example of that. Whereas like no matter what, which format you play Gruul in, your mana is going to suck. Like your mana is going to be ex extremely terrible just because like, a lot of cards are going to be double green, double red, right. uh, combinations of green and red. So um, there is a lot of value in playing these uh, slow lands, but you improve your mana drastically right like that's that's essentially the 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 awesome payoff the awesome intricacy of these tap lands that uh you're giving something up right you're giving something up for that uh, for that security um so in guilds of ravnica um i started off by playing all the fixing because you know i think that it's very important to be able to cast your cards even if you cast your cards eventually it's going to be better than uh than just not casting your cards but at some point in Guilds of Ravnica, I actually um, started playing essentially only one tap land because the format got so fast that sometimes a land coming in tap just meant uh, the difference between winning or losing a game. So, um, you know, better lucky than good. You know what I mean? So in that format, a lot of times I would play my one Boros Guild gate and that's it instead of like playing all my fixing. Yeah. Um, now, coming back to Ikoria, I think that this formats you would think that it's similar, right? Because, well, the Boros deck is perceived to be very, very quick and uh, that you don't want to stumble, that you want to be able to cast your stuff. But, but uh, or sorry, that you want to cast your stuff uh, in a timely manner without the lands coming untapped. However, in this format, um, in these red-white cycling decks, I'm actually playing all the tap lands, basically. Okay. So the difference here is that um, the cycling deck is actually not actually about getting out of the gate quickly. I think it's actually about sculpting your game plan. And that's essentially what cycling does for you. Because if you think about it, right, cycling is, if, if you look at a card like Lava Serpent, Lava Serpent is a card that you can cycle on two or you can cast on six. It really helps you dictate the pace of the game in terms of how many lands you have, right? Right. If you want more land or obviously something else, then yes, you cycle a Lava Serpent to try to find something. Um, if you don't need more land, sometimes you're going to hold on to it and cast it on six. So it's less about coming out of the gate quickly. It's about sculpting your game plan and understanding how that game is going to end. So um, a lot of times it's not actually going to be about needing to play your stuff immediately. It's about, uh, and, and sorry, and, and, and it's also not about just attacking as fast as you can, as hard as you can. It's about figuring out, figuring out the moments where you want to attack. It's, right. it, it, it is a very intricate deck, and I think that that's honestly the most powerful aspect of it is that it has so many different tools where you, where you can basically sculpt the game plan to be aggressive or to be defensive based on the, uh, based on the situation, um, the, the point where you are in the game. So um, in these decks, I find it a lot less important to actually get out of the, get out of the gates quickly. So uh, I actually like these tap lands in these decks. Um, the other day, I actually went as far as to acknowledge that my, that my uh, cycling deck was actually not very good. And yeah. I didn't have like enough Lava Serpents to potentially like win, uh, win games. And I didn't have like a Zenith Flare or whatever. Right. Low on win cons. Yeah, exactly. Like low on yeah. win cons and not only the cycling payoffs, but cards that I can just straight win with, <laughs> right. you know, like Lava Serpents. So what I actually did was 
Uh, during the draft, I had cleverly speculated on two Tranquil Coves. Okay. And I actually managed to pick up two uh, Boon of the Wishgivers. Okay. So what I did was I ran one island in my deck and uh, two Tranquil Coves, and I had the Boons in there just as an off chance of being able to cast the Boon sometimes. Yeah, I mean, and, especially uh, in a cycling deck, you're gonna get, you're gonna rip through your deck, right? You're gonna find your lands. Yeah, exactly. So the thing is that my chat was going crazy because they're like, "Oh my goodness, you know that these tap lands are gonna like lose you games and all for this like weird uh, potential payoff of just casting Boon of the Wishgiver." And you also have to find your other blue source. You only have three in the deck, and it's never gonna work. So. Uh, that run went seven wins only nice. on the back of essentially Boon of the, Boon of the Wishgiver hardcasting. Yeah, the, <laughs> the, the deck does run out of gas. It doesn't really have card draw or card advantage inherently in it, you know? So yeah, it's good. The, yeah, so the different lists are going to look different. Um, wow, very insightful, Desi. So, <laughs> very, so varying lists of cycling are going to have um, more inherent value than others. Again, if you have like Vantasaurus, if you have... Uh, uh, not that Vansaur is great in the deck or anything, you know, but it's something to cast later on. Right. Uh, Vansaur is a lava serpent. If you have um, uh, rooting Molochs and stuff like that, then sure, you know, you can be playing these decks that, that can potentially uh, stretch out the game a little bit further and you can actually win these kind of grindier games that uh, don't just end once the board is stalled out and you don't have a Zenith Flare. Um, so a lot of times you do need to just look at what your deck's trying to do, like, what's it trying to say? And that deck to me told me that I needed to cast Boon of the Wishgiver sometimes. Um, and that, and that's what I did. And the tap lands were not really a problem at all. So, so I'm guessing, um, since, since you're uh, so high on the cycling deck, let's say you first pick a Fox or a Valiant Rescue or one of the okay. good payoffs, but not a Zenith Flare, let's say. Mm -hmm. Um, how, I'm wondering how all in you are in that point. So, for example, if the next pack you got to pick between a one-mana cycler like a Vantasaur or let's say a very good off-color card like a Blood Curdle or sure. a – or I don't know. Um, I was going to say weaponize the monsters, but that could fit into this deck as well. But I'm just saying how in are you picking just one-mana cyclers and tunnel vision after you pick up one of the good mm -hmm. payoffs? Yep. I think that's a really good question. I think that I would say that uh, depending on the sort of payoff cards I have in the beginning, so you mentioned um, Valiant Rescuer or Flourishing Fox, I would probably say that I am only like maybe 30 to 40% chance at that point to be cycling. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Just because so it can get pick cut the, so hard, huh? I mean, it's not really that it can get cut because I think that you can also fight over it. Once okay. you fight over a an archetype, it becomes less cut as well, right? True. Do you enjoy so, that that push and oh, pull with other people? Oh yeah, like one of the best things I love about paper drafts. Um, it 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 brings me it brings me back to elementary school as well, where I used to be like a like like the playground bully. Um, <laughs> you know, back when everyone was kind of the same size, and like there were the guys uh, that were like three times my size, and I would bully them as well. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> but uh, one of the cool things about human drafting is that you can actually bully people out of colors. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it, it is it is really a game of chicken, right? It's like, well, yeah, sometimes it's like this color isn't open. But if you fight for those cards, you're picking those cards, the other person's going to think the same thing, right? Right. And then sometimes you just get paid up in pack three because, you know, they got bullied out of the color. It's just very normal. Um, but, uh, yeah, so <laughs> going back to your point, wow, 
that was a real segue there. Yeah, it was, uh, we were talking about like how in, and you said about 30% in, which surprises yeah. me because that's not how I approach it. And maybe that's why, I, one of the reasons why I'm not as good as you is that when I take a flourishing fox first, uh, mm -hmm. I'm taking Vantasaur second. I almost don't even care what else is in the pack unless sure. it's some huge bomb. Sure, sure. I mean, like Vantasaur is a great pickup because of that, right? It's fine on six and it's good in that deck and you can play it, play it in a lot of, Honestly, you, you can play Vansor in a lot of decks. You can play it in a black-green deck that doesn't have a single white source because uh, sometimes you'll have, like, Unbreakable Bond or Back for mm. More. So you just have, like, these random cyclers that sometimes fit into decks. Um, another good example of that is uh, sometimes I'm playing, like, say, like, if I'm playing a green-blue deck, right? I don't have a single play into my deck, but uh, I have multiple copies, like, one or multiple copies of Survivor's Bonds, yeah. which gets back humans. So I'm happy to play Janeth Healer in my deck sometimes so i can you know drain a healer away later when you survivors bond then you can actually get another healer back so then you cycle it again it's kind of like a ghetto divination you know yeah and survivors bond seems like it's going late right now but i personally i don't think i've drafted that card once and i draft a lot i've also kind of been avoiding green a little bit mm -hmm. it's a card huh. i like a lot but really? in this format essentially uh, humans are a scam so okay. it's hard to actually get good humans in your deck in the first place, especially with good ones that die off. Like the best ones are going to be like Skull Prophets, right? Because a 3-1 is, I would argue that 3-1s are relevant at any, at any part of a game, right? Okay. Whether it's on turn two, whether it's on turn six, it's going to help you trade into something. It's going to help you attack. Um, so that is going to be a little bit different. But for the most part, the humans suck, man. You know, th that's kind of the philosophy, I think, of uh, planet Earth as well, man. Is that dude, humans are the worst. Humans are the worst, man. Sometimes, sometimes humans are sometimes humans are pretty cool when you get there with that like sweet black white deck. But for the most part, especially in Aquaria, yeah, I I am definitely not about those humans. As much as you guys love the cycling deck and as good as it is, is there a deck that we could look out for or, or some sort of um, way that we could be drafting in order to help us beat the cycling deck? Is there are there cards that you could talk mm -hmm. about or um, I don't know different ideas to beat the cycling deck yeah so i i've also thought about this as well and um outside of like the uh, outside of this outside of the sarcastic remarks like oh just go first or just have them stumble <laughs> or you know just hope that they don't have zenith flare which is honestly a lot of times what you kind of have to do just hope that they don't have those things or do those things but um i've seen some people try to like run run the i i, I don't know what it's called it's like the uh it's like a two-mana instant black card that gives a plus one, plus one counter and lifelink. Um, Interesting. Right? Yeah, so there's like that card that, you know, tries to like gain some life. That's huh. that's a card that you generally side in against these decks, but... And you can get that late. Nobody takes that thing. Yeah, but the thing is that it's not even that good because a lot right. of times you just can't attack. <laughs> you just can't attack sometimes well, so against these Snurtititions. I've found the, uh, is it Memory Leak? No, that's an old counter spell. It's the one that takes their card out of their hand, the black spell yep. that you can cycle. I find that's pretty good because it you is can sometimes leak, uh -huh. nab a um, uh, Zenith Flare. And then yep. I find cheap removals sometimes really good against cycling because you can get rid of yep. their Valiant Rescuer or their Fox before it gets out of control. Exactly. I think Memory Flare is actually a very, very good common. And it's a little bit difficult because you have you have so many different ways to build decks in this format where it's like sometimes your black deck, sometimes one of your best cards is going to be boot nipper. Sometimes you're playing like a black, white humans deck and boot nipper is going to be left on the sideboard. Right. Um, but memory drain is one of those cards that it, it's, 
it's kind of not as flashy as boot nipper or say like lurking dead eye right which whenever people play it you're like okay well that's kind of a problem um memory leak is a card that keeps on going up and up in my evaluations just because it's a card that's it really does hit that zenith flare um, especially if you manage to hold on to it right uh if you manage to hold on to it you let your opponent get the maximum amount of time yeah. where they can actually draw the zenith flare and uh for, for them to actually have it in their hand but it's not lethal yet to actually kill you with it yeah so that's kind of the moment when you want to cast your zenith or sorry when you want to cast your memory leak but uh you know so, sometimes on curve if you've got nothing else to do you will just hit a zenith flare anyways and it's going to be pretty sweet yeah. <laughs> but, um, but i want to say that it's a counter you know to these decks i really do think that that's why the cycling decks are s tier and one of the one of the main ways that i've found success in actually beating these decks is actually to have these companions because these companions make your deck a little bit more consistent and it gives you a very focused game plan for the most part outside of like Yorion or something but um it gives you a real way to actually just beat them because you know what you're going to be doing and you can expect that card on curve will you play uh, extra lands in companion decks where the companion costs let's say more than three mana or even if it is three mana will you just how many lands are you playing in general on, in a companion deck in this set mm, i guess companion decks they vary a lot yeah um so for yeah so it is gonna vary a lot but i guess let's take gigantha for an example gigantha is a card that you can always cast once you have five mana so in a deck with Gigantha, I'm actually happy to be running like one more land. Okay. You know what I mean? So say in, say if I'm playing like a red-white cycling deck with Gigantha in it, uh, instead of playing my 14 lands, I'm happy to play my 15th land because um, there's a lot of value in just being able to cast your cards on curve, right? So. Right. Um, are there certain companions where when you first pick them, you're more open to maybe not making it your companion? Like, uh, I, I know Yorian's a big one that people are talking about with that, right? Are there... What are your opinions on um, which ones will you more hard force to make it your companion? Which ones are you more open to just shoving in your deck? Oh man, I think I, I think that that I think that 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 is actually a fantastic question um, because basically the times when I pick up almost all the companions outside of maybe Yorion or uh, Zerda, for example. Yeah. Um, the other eight companions, the only time that they really don't make my deck as a companion is if I pick up a better companion. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes I'll have like three companions in my deck, right? Yeah. Uh, I'll like, I've had multiple times where I've companioned Lutri and I've, and I've had Obosh and Gigantha in my deck oh my as well. God. But the thing is that you really just want to try to keep yourself. So like picking these other companions, having them be able to go into decks is a very good thing. But I think that people still aren't going hard enough on the companions. Um, for the most part, I think that I would say that probably 60%, over 60% of my trophies on Magic Arena are actually when I've companioned a card. So oh. that kind of puts it into perspective. I've found, uh, it, you know, when I start a game and my opponent has a companion, I'm already like, oh, this is going to be tough. But in particular, yep. I've found, uh, is it Luris, the one that gets cheap stuff out of your graveyard? Yep. I find that one on the play is especially almost impossible for me to beat. Um, yep. 
yeah, these, these things are just, they're so good. And they're, they're also a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed the constraint of drafting to me. I know a lot of people complain about what these things are doing to constructed, but, um, and I know even in limited, it can be a little bit of a feel bad if your opponent has one and you don't, but I love drafting probably more than playing. And I love trying to work around the constraints of a companion. It's a lot of fun. I also think it's a lot of fun. Um, I talked about it recently on one of my YouTube videos as well, but I really, I really, really like the, uh, the design space extending out to the companions because I think that it does feel like very magic to me. Um, I think that it doesn't take that much away. And I think that there's a lot of space there in terms of design where, you know, if people think these companions are too strong, we can, we, we can have companions that just do less, right? And I think that that's really cool. So, for example, if you had, like, just a three-mana 2-2 two, two that gain you life every turn or something like that, like, or, like, a three-mana 2-2 two, two lifelink, right, with, like, some sort of weird uh, constraint. Yeah. I, I, just, I just don't think that that really takes away much from, um, from the magic design space. On the contrary, I think that it actually adds a lot. I think it's very cool. Um, it's kind of the opposite of Planeswalkers for me, where I think, like, Planeswalkers have no business being in the game. It doesn't even make sense <laughs> why it's actually, like, a card type. Basically, well, so none they of... can make the Netflix uh, season next year. Oh man, yeah, I complain all the time on my uh, stream about Planeswalkers. Uh, not not only the actual card type, but just how it fits into Magic, right. and how I think it's so dweeby. Every like basically every Planeswalker out there that's not Tamio is uh, just like a huge dweeb. You know, uh, <laughs> a Johnny is like the king of dweebs. Um, well, I've seen you uh, post pictures of either dressing up like Oko or I feel like I saw Jace at one point. You don't have <laughs> yeah. any type of personal uh, connection to these because I think that's one of the big ideas of Planeswalkers sure. is to let people personally identify with them and create a connection yep. into the game. Like, man, I, like, I've always liked Karn. I like the way Karn is sure. colorless and kind of, uh, I don't know, is uh, yeah, not fitting into an archetype. I love that idea. And so yeah. I, I like to identify with Karn. And I, I think a lot of people also like that mm -hmm. aspect. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what they're going for, but I think it takes away so much more than it than it actually adds, because people can identify with like legendary creatures or whatnot or whatnot even without planeswalkers. You know, right. um, there are there are ways to just make people empathize with the characters you have in your game without having them be planeswalkers. Um, so, you know, whereas planeswalkers, like you basically can't do anything to planeswalkers. No removal really hits them, especially in limited. They all come in with like a fat toughness and uh, the game generally ends probably like a good 80% of the time when a Planeswalker hits the board. Um, it's, it's, just, it's, it's just so refreshing to see the companions be introduced to magic because I really think it's cool. Uh, you know, not only the drafting part that you mentioned as well, but adding just a little bit of consistency in a game where there's like quite a bit of variance. Um, it is very, very valuable, you know, and again, it could be a three mana two, two life linker that has, that has like a, some sort of restriction to it. It doesn't have to be like your Luris or your Lutri or anything like that. I think it's really cool. what do you think about that, Sean? I like it. I like, I like them a lot. I haven't had a chance to play with them as much as I'd like to. Um, I don't, I don't draft nearly as much as either one of you do, but they're extremely powerful and I, I'd like to experiment with them more. Yeah, definitely. And, and uh, you know, there's still a lot of exploration going on at the moment as well. So um, what's the worst that, that can happen? You open up a companion, just go for it. <laughs> just go for it. Right. Who cares? 
All right, non-magic question. I got more of them. I'm sorry to do this to everybody, but I want to know more about you, Dusty. Didn't you mention that your parents are in dental? Yep. Yeah, okay. both both my parents are successful dentists. Okay, so my mom, uh, for a portion of her life, was a dental hygienist. Okay. Uh, I would okay. say for maybe like 15 years. Wow, okay. And uh, I've uh, broken my teeth off several times in my life. (laughs) And you can only imagine what that did to her psyche being, you know, somebody who tries to take care of people's teeth. And when she sees her child with like two missing front teeth, what that, you know, Mm -hmm. how traumatic that was for her. And as a result, I've also had so many like root canals and stuff like that. Have you ever like, what is your relationship with your teeth? Since you have these parents who like, where teeth are very important, I assume. Are you like, have you had any problems? Like, have you broken any of your teeth and you had your parents freak out or have they just taught you to like take super good care of them? See, these are the real hidden important <laughs> questions we get when Sean doesn't want to ask you about Akoya. Uh, that's so funny. Yeah, so um, it's, it's actually a very interesting relationship because my parents actually don't really, uh, they're actually not that strict on like teeth stuff, you know, for like, for the most part, you would think that the sort of stereotypical dentist would be like, oh, yeah, well, you know, in our family, we only use like, a special type of kind of toothpaste and we yeah. care about like um, um, about oral hygiene to, to extreme extent. Basically, it's it it's it is it is it is close to zero that, <laughs> <laughs> that the amount that my parents have actually cared about uh, or or I guess I a better way to put it is to put emphasis on our on our oral hygiene. You know, um, I don't really, enjoy, I don't really enjoy going to the dentist. So I always try to, uh, just make up excuses and not have a, have to go to the dental office to get my checkup and stuff like that. Wait, why do you go anywhere? Why don't you just go downstairs? Don't they have the little scrapers and everything? And, uh... <laughs> I mean, for the most part, they don't work on my teeth. It's, it's like their assistants and stuff, but, um, yeah. but, uh, yeah, in my life, I have basically not gotten a single cavity, um, I really, I really, really emphasize Whoa. that myself, just in terms of uh, like hygiene and cleanliness. Um, Are you not big on sweets? I I am big on sweets, yeah, but I like brush my teeth, you know, my yeah. the uh, three times a day, and I just make sure to like drink water and stuff. And I don't really drink like soda and things like that. But coffee, tea. <clears throat> I do drink coffee, um, either black or sweet Vietnamese coffee. Yeah, but uh, it's pretty surprising that I've basically never gotten a cavity in my life. Yeah, that condensed milk. Yeah, that that could do it. Yeah, I, I got no idea. But um, yeah, I'm really big in hygiene. You know, as you guys see from watching me play Magic on stream, that I'm a real control freak. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, even when I'm having fun, even when I'm going off the rails, I need it to be controlled. <laughs> there, like, there needs to be a method behind the madness, and that kind of permeates into all aspects of my life that um yeah that i just like things uh, controlled it's funny because i see the picture of your room after you're done streaming and it's littered with cards it looks oh uh, yeah nothing like somebody who likes control do you clean oh. those up immediately or do you just accept that as part of your life i probably clean it up like maybe three times a week three or four times okay. a week um but yeah it, it it also drives me nuts as well but uh you know? <laughs> I saw some old man. I saw some old man cards in there with white borders. I saw some like fifth editions and stuff on your floor. Where, where are these? A bunch of commons that you picked up along the way somewhere? Uh, these are the these are cards that some of my viewers gave me yeah. actually. 
and I don't know why they gave it to me, but uh, I was like, well, I have these lying around anyways. I guess I'll throw them around. So I have a mix of like uh, of like Sword Art Online cards, Yu-Gi-Oh cards, Pokemon cards, uh, uh, Magic cards, of course, and everything in between those, just throwing cards at people. So, Oh, what have you thought about now that we're into human drafts? And now that we actually get to on arena, obviously, how, what's your take been on that? How have you enjoyed it? Have you gone back to bot drafts at all? I have gone back to one bot draft uh, in that bot draft. I had, it was a draft where I had three Zenith flares and I think like 15, one mana cyclers. <laughs> and uh, oh, no. for the sake of my viewers, I was like, all right, let's not do that again. I don't know if that's representative of like actual bot drafts, but um, yeah, it was actually the most disgusting thing ever. Well, there, I can tell you, were... I've, I've done two and I have not <laughs> ended up with decks like that, but I'm not you either. So <laughs> there were some of these, uh, there were some of these games where I didn't attack my opponent once and I just Zenith and I, and I just flared them in the face. That's ridiculous. Um, were the bots passing Zenith fair, like third, fourth pick or something like that? I think so. Yeah. Oh, um, no. Yeah, oh, and no. it was funny because there was one game where my opponent had played Vivian, and my chat wanted me to flare the Vivian. Yeah. And I was like, nah, Vivian doesn't do anything here. <laughs> <laughs> so I just kept on cycling, and I ended up flaring their face. <clears throat> it was uh, a little bit ridiculous, but um, but overall, I think human drafts are hu- human drafts are fun, and the most fun part the most fun part about it for me is that people stop making excuses. Uh, yeah. one of the things I, one of the things I love most in the world is complaining. One of the things I hate most in the world is when people complain without any sort of, uh, substance to it. You know right. What I mean? Like you have um, to be willing to change or do something about it. You just don't want to be a backseat driver or a Monday morning quarterback yeah. always complaining about other people's actions. Exactly. Like you want to complain about something, but you want to have a, have a good point. It wants to be, uh, like you need to find the validation somewhere you need to, um, you need to really like understand that sometimes complaining when there's like no possible other a solution to it is just not worth anyone's time. Right. But when things can be changed, when things are, um, when things are uh, meaningful to complain about, I think that that's when complaining is actually valuable. So before people were always like, especially people who played primarily on magic online, right? They're like, Oh, well magic arena you know, this is a magic arena where, uh, where like you just get past uh, all of these bombs and you right. can like, exploit the bots and that's why you, you have such a high win rate. I'm here on Magic Online and that's why my win rate's lower because I'm playing against real people, you know. People, right. people are way better than humans at drafting. Uh, and, oh my gosh, I can't believe you got picked past like a pack three, uh, pick three Vivian or something. Right. But everybody and, gets past them, right? It's still an even yeah. playing field. Exactly. So, 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 so what I'm saying now is that that's what people used to say about bot drafts. Right. Now the human drafts are here. Well, where's your excuse? Now I think like the best excuse that I hear people say is that, oh yeah, well the drafts are unranked, but yeah, they're unranked in magic or uh, magic uh, online as well. Right. You know, they're unranked at your local game store. They're un- unranked at your, lo- at, at your uh, local Grand Prix. So realistically, it's like stop making excuses to why you can't win, right? Like why you can't get better because that's not what Desi's Duel Academy is all about. The only <laughs> excuse I could think would be even semi-legitimate would be the uh, whole, you know, your opponent has something if um, on Arena because it's automatically holding priority. 
But for one thing, cycling kind of takes that away a little bit because anybody could just have a cycling one card. And two, I wouldn't want them to put that in anyway because that's one of the reasons why Moto is so so unplayable is passing priority, you know, a million times. Exactly. So um, people have basically, for the most part, stopped making excuses uh, for things, which which is what I think is really, really cool about the human drafts. And um, people didn't believe me that human drafts are way weirder than bot drafts. And in pack three, especially, it's very normal to get paid off, right? Right. That's because when you get your second and third companion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because of the, the, the thing is that other people aren't, for the most part, aren't really rare drafting, I don't think. Uh, people are picking up the S and symbiote over speculating on a card. So it's really normal to get paid off in pack three. So um, that was one of the weirdest things about bot drafting because it just seemed like they rare drafted all the way through or potentially even change your color sometimes. Um, whereas in human drafts, I can actually, uh, you know, use the most of my ability. And, yeah. and one more cool thing that I would like to mention about human drafts is that, and, may, and maybe I should actually make a full video on this for YouTube, but um, it is about understanding the psyche of the table, understanding the, um, understanding what people value at the table and how likely cards are to wheel because cards are more likely. So uh, the extent to which a card is likely to wheel depends on the table. And uh, the way that you get the information is in pack one. So when you get those wheels back in, in pack one, you actually get a pretty good understanding of like what cards you can try to wheel in this pod. Um, so that is something that actually that, that I personally can use to my benefit, which exists in human drafting because the human psyche exists there, but it's not in bot drafting. So one of the things that frustrated me a lot before is that people, people were like, oh yeah, well, Desi only plays on magic arena. Desi's, uh, Desi's never played in paper, which isn't true. Of course, I started a long time ago in paper. Uh, and yeah, so he only knows how to bot draft. He doesn't know how to sideboard. He doesn't know how to, um, actually like draft in a real person pod. So before I was doing like reviews of the, of the pro tour drafts and people were like, well, Desi, well, how, how do you have the, um, the right to actually judge these drafts when you don't know anything but magic online or sorry, magic arena bot drafts. Right. And that's something that really frustrated me, right? Because it's like, it, it just equated two things that essentially had very little to do with each other and making a, general, a generalized conclusion that was just far from the truth. So, yeah, um, and, and that a lot of it, I think, just has to do with your success. Anytime you become su- successful at something, especially in a new semi-new format like Twitch or, or like streaming, there might be more embedded people who then see you be successful. And that uh, just happens. I mean, the higher you climb up a ladder, the more your ass ex- is exposed to everybody. And I think that's honestly <laughs> just a sign of your success, the fact that other people are trying to knock you down. Yeah, right. um, it took me a long time to like try to deal with that, but it certainly helped a lot with the human drafts, yeah. We were talking the other day about how us normal people, um, when we think we've drafted a deck that's an eight, nine, or 10 out of 10, oftentimes with the variation, we still only get four wins. But Mm -hmm. folks like you who are on the God level um, seem to 
get the seven wins consistently with these decks, even with decks that I would say aren't that, you know, aren't an eight or a nine. So I I know that um, you're not going to be able to explain to us exactly why that is, but there have to be some insights or some things that you do little things here and there that, um, and of course I see them from my perspective when I watch, but are there any kind of clues you could give to us there that would help? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that, I, I think that that's a really good question. And it's a question that I've asked myself for a very long time. Because in Magic, winning doesn't necessarily mean that you're right. And losing doesn't necessarily mean that you're wrong. Well said. So it's really hard to, you know, to really pinpoint where you're doing things right and where you're doing things wrong. So sometimes I'm like, well, you know, I could basically just draft blind and probably, like, get a reasonable amount of wins with any sort of pile. Right? So that's probably going to uh, lean a lot on my technical gameplay. Um, or, you know, the opposite could also be true where it's like, well, maybe, maybe I'm just like such a good drafter that I, that like my drafts are actually carrying me and my gameplay is actually subpar. Um, and it's hard to actually know which one is correct because I, I don't really know the answer. Um, maybe, maybe both my drafting and my playing are just phenomenal. I, I honestly, I have no idea. Um, but regarding the gameplay, I think one of the most important things is that there's so much information um, in terms of the way that your opponents do things. So, for example, a lot of times, the simply the lands that you have in turn two tell me a lot about your deck. Hmm. Um, and I think we talked about this a little bit last time, where it's like, at, at, at the start of a game, I already picture how the game's going to end. Uh, based on their colors, based on my colors, based on what my deck's trying to do, and what the general... Uh, the general like layout or um, expected deck that they're going to have of those colors. Um, So in that sense, that's one way of like trying to understand what your role is in a game of Magic the Gathering. But more so than that, sometimes even deeper is that the way that the opponents do things, they, it tells you a lot about not only their hand, but also their deck. So a lot of times you get reads because for the most for the most part people don't make bluffs that much, right? I think that in certain situations, for example, sometimes you attack uh, on turn four in a black deck, and your opponent sees you have four mana, they're less likely to block because of the existence of lurking dead eye, mm. right? So a lot of times people are going to make certain plays that represent something, and people don't bluff enough to the extent where you shouldn't be trusting your opponent. I think one of the one of the one of the fundamental things that has made me better as a magic player uh, is actually trusting your opponent, because mm. your opponent acts in a rational way. They want to win, right? They right. want to beat you, and people like that are people who you can trust, because the thing is that they're doing things with some sort of a method behind their madness. So, a lot of times when you're, especially actually especially when your opponents make really weird plays, right? You're like, right. what the hell was that? Right. Yeah, yeah. There is something to be there's something to be read there. Um, on the so on the flip side of that, one of the most one of the biggest mistakes that I think that uh, people make, not only in limited but also in constructed, in all forms of magic, is that people uh, sometimes you read too much into it, where it's like, where it's like a lot of times people make reads that aren't actually reads. For example, it's like, well, people are like, oh, well, I think they have a blood curdle. And right. I'm like, okay, well, they could have a hot pocket. Like, it doesn't really make that much of a difference <laughs> Or a <here>. bagel. <laughs> yeah, or a bagel. Because 
it's reads aren't simply just oh yeah they may have this they may have that reads are like okay well them making this sort of attack suggests that this is what they're trying to do and they have this card otherwise it's really hard to make that attack unless they're just bluffing so will you bluff on people let's say you're playing blue will you leave up two mana to bluff essence scatter against your opponent even if you could do something else because if my opponent leaves up two mana in their blue Mm -hmm. i like never play into it i'm super scared of it so i'm thinking maybe i shouldn't be so scared of it it is it is different you you always need to uh, risk assess right sometimes you're like well okay well i'll play the worst creature here because Actually, the upside of them not having it, and if they just have like a lava serpent cycle or something like that, then uh, then I'm actually pretty behind. Um, so maybe I'll play my worst creature. Other times it'll be like, well, I don't think I can win this game unless this creature resolves, anyways. So I'm just gonna jam this right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so it's a lot about just assessing the situation. Um, I think one of the one of the things that I do quite often, more so than other players, is uh, for example, the other day I. Oh, sorry. So, so uh, one of the things that I do more than other people is I make attacks where I believe people can't block. So, in situations when the opponent is at a very high life total, yeah. <clears throat> we're taking like two or three damage is inconsequential. Yeah. Where the where the upside of them being able to untap and hold something up is very valuable. Those are moments where I like to attack. Mm-hmm. So some so some good examples of what I do in this format is that sometimes I attack uh, representing lurking dead eye right. Oh sure, and that's and that's a block that sometimes people can't make, especially when they're in a high life total. Uh, another thing I do is uh, what I've done quite frequently is flourishing fox. Sometimes yeah. I'm oh, a flourishing sure. fox, and I attack into their like two, two or three, three, and I don't have any cycling cards in my oh, hand. Oh my goodness! And it's like, well, they can't block, <laughs> right. and they usually don't, huh? Yeah, they yeah yeah they never block. I never bluff like that. I should start doing that more often, huh? There and one last thing I would say about bluffing, which which is really cool. Again, I maybe I'll make a whole video, uh, a whole YouTube video on this. But um, one thing, another situation where I attack in is uh, in a situation where once again the opponent's at a high life total. Uh, taking damage is inconsequential for them. But from my perspective, I'm in such a rough spot that actually the only way I can win is by getting this chip damage and trying to steal steal the game later on. Right. Yeah. Um, so I'll make these attacks that represent something, you know, like they, they won't necessarily be all out attacks. It'll be like, Oh, I'll attack with my two twos into your four, four, but not right. my one ones, you know, right. and I'm representing, uh, unlikely aid. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. I'm selling them on unlikely aid and I'm going to try to sell that live for the rest of this game. Um, oh, so, so then you, will you hold down control then too, to, uh, represent like, uh, that, that it's like pausing or whatever? Yeah, like, yeah. 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 If I don't have a cycler or something else at instant speed, then yeah, I will, yeah. uh, I never do any of these control. little, yeah, this is these good tips. I like this. <laughs> it's, it is really weird, but the bottom line here is just to get into the opponent's psyche because, yeah. um, a lot of times, honestly, so, okay. So sometimes I misplay on stream and I mess up. And my argument is actually that uh, I am getting so deep into my opponent's psyche that, <laughs> that I know that they're not going to block this thing. So I, so I am attacking here, and then I actually, like, lose track a little bit of, like, what my cards actually do. And right, I believe right. it so much. I believe <laughs> it so much. I sell it so much that I forget that I don't even have it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. So, you placeboed yourself. Exactly. So the thing is that it's actually less important about what's right it's more important about what your opponent thinks is right that's right so it's 
it is a real mind game. And I think that magic is one of those games where you can actually leverage that uh, quite a lot because um, there's a lot of like little things that give people tells. Right. And uh, it's almost like, I don't know. It's almost like hypnosis. It's like a, it's like the power of suggestion, I guess. Yeah. You Jedi people out once a, well, I won't. T- uh, that's a whole different video game story. It's taking me too long. I won't get into it. All right, <laughs> different, different path here. Um, you mentioned earlier that uh, you also kind of like the red black deck, or maybe the blue red deck, or maybe even sometimes the uh, white black. And I'm just wondering what some yeah. of the signposts are that are pulling you in. Like, I'm a weaponize the monster monsters, or is it the Dora, that little pet? Are there certain cards that you're seeing earlier where you're like, okay, I don't love this archetype, but this is the card I'm looking for to start to hedge in here? Oh man, that's a really good question. Um, I love weaponize the monsters. I've been finding so many fun ways to use that card. I don't yeah. know how high you are on that one. I think that it kind of has what I, I would like to call the Spark Reaper effect, which Spark Reaper is a card from, um, from War of the Spark. It's a three mana, two, three. You can pay three mana to sacrifice any creature or planeswalker. Mm-hmm. And you gain life and you draw a card. So yeah. it essentially blanks removal. <clears throat> and um, weaponize essentially does that where you, you want to play in a way that you basically never tap out of weaponized mana. Uh, so these decks want to have like more mana than uh, like more mana in general. And then maybe have some cathartic reunions once again to risk assess and to discard some of these lands. But um, I think that that card is, is very cool. It's a very potent build around, but only in certain decks that have like, you know, small and bad creatures. Um, in a lot of decks, I think that people are running it and it doesn't make any sense, I guess, to uh, sack like your mid-range creatures and stuff. It just, it, it just isn't as effective, I suppose. Yeah. But uh, going back to the signposting, long story short, the answer is basically no. There's not <laughs> really cards that signpost me right. into these archetypes. Um, so I, I guess I would say the most extreme example of, uh, cards that actually signpost me into an archetype is like, if I have like two back for mores, okay. right, then sure. I am going to be picking up the big creatures that cycle so I can try to reanimate them back to try to cheat the curve, try to swing some games. And, uh, that is going to be like kind of the, kind of the very minimum that actually incentivizes me to go into these colors. Outside of that, it would be like more of the traditional, just reading the signals and being like, yeah. all right, well, I guess I got like this black white stuff together. I have right. like one sanctuary lockdown and it's going to be a fine black white deck. And that's the route that I'm taking. <clears throat> so you'd rather get in with a blood curdle because that just keeps you open to a lot of different yep. archetypes and then backdooring into humans. Exactly. Okay. Or black or backdooring into like red black menace or red right. black sacrifice, or you have like the red black mid range that just has random removal spells. Uh, you can also go into like black white mutate sometimes, which is very uncommon, by the way. Um, you can go into black white human. So yeah, uh, cards like Blood Curdle are going to fit into a lot more archetypes. So that's kind of a very very good way of staying open, um, which is which is kind of the problem with like Ram Through, where it's like every single green deck is going to have to be some sort of like creature creature based deck that's trying to win by attackings, uh, and that's how Ram Through is good. So it's it really does come down to fundamental magic of the gathering uh what's open and uh, what makes sense to be picking up early in a draft format so we've been going here for almost an hour and a half and i don't want to wear out our welcome with you because oh it's all good man i, I, want, I want you back on okay good we're not wearing out our welcome good 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 i'm having the time of my life here chatting about this stuff because <laughs> one of the things that okay so 
one of the things that I'm actually sad, the saddest about the most is that I love streaming. Yeah. Like I love, love, love streaming. Whenever I'm streaming, I feel, or whenever I'm not streaming, I feel super weird. Um, <laughs> and I love streaming so much that for like the last three weeks, I've been doing like 70 hour weeks, you know, 70 wow. hour weeks on stream. And um, the problem with that is that I also want to make YouTube videos. I want to make more guides and stuff like that. I want to like chat more about, uh, you know, like magic like this. So it's always really hard for me to actually um, do more than just streaming because at the end of like a 12, 13 hour stream, I just, you know, some nights I just, some nights I'm too tired to even eat. And, yeah. and, I, and I hadn't eaten for the entire day. I don't like to eat before stream. So some days I'm so exhausted that I just brush my teeth and, and I just pass out. And some so, days um, you're all sweaty because your dink brother put the big thing on the air conditioning and dinked out. Yeah, it's really hot in here. Yeah. Really <laughs> in here. But you know what? But I'm, but I'm the asshole. You know what I mean? That's right. I, I should be nicer. I can't believe you, Desi. What the hell's wrong with you, man? Yeah, I can't believe it, man. Thousands of people are wait, like are respecting me on stream. And now. That's right. Are you the youngest, yeah, oldest? I am the oldest. I, 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 I'm the oldest by two years and I have two younger twin brothers. Oh, oh so wow. that, no wonder they gang up. They're twins. There's freaking yeah, two they, of them, man. It's weird, man, because like, I feel like the more I stream and, and the older I get, obviously I'm like, I'm like young in a lot of people's eyes. But, um, but uh, the thing is that I just, I don't know. I just hate the sort of defeatist mentality where it's like, oh yeah, well, uh, you know, kindness is the most important thing and blah, blah, blah. Like, uh, dude, kindness is something that comes much down the line. Like there's a lot of things that have to be there in place before we even care about kindness or like, being considerate or whatever. And that's kind of like the place I'm at in life where I'm like, yeah, like that stuff's important, but it's kind of like the discussion of removal and limited. It's, it's the most overrated thing, I think. Mm. Well, then, so much more important things. Doesn't that conflict with Southern charm living in the South? Aren't, isn't everybody supposed to have this general air of respect towards each other and friendliness, even if deep <laughs> inside they don't feel that way? I think that friendliness is different than, than, than kindness because people okay. are thinking like, uh, think about kindness as something that's like selfless. And I think that the best way to be kind is actually to, to try as hard as you can in your craft and to actually work as hard as you can. I think that yeah. that's the best kind of kindness and that comes before any sort of being uh, considerate or like being polite or whatever, because all of that is fluff without, um, w without some sort of foundation that that rests upon, you know? I also think uh, being a good tipper, sometimes I judge people a lot when I see how much they tip uh -huh, and I, okay. I, I rate their <laughs> kindness on that. Oh, oh my boy. goodness. I see. Oh, oh, wait, what, what are you guys like 5% tippers over here? What are we talking about? Guys? <laughs> what do you, I'm in the industry. What do you think? What do you think? I think what do you, I bet you tip like 30%, but I That's bet you right. also don't eat out because you probably think it's wasteful. Uh, I love eating out, I, I, but I, I tip. Yes. I tip heavy, even if the service is bad. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That's crazy. That's that. That's crazy to me. So for me, that's a good example. Because yep. for me, that's not kindness. You know what I mean? Like, right. or, or sorry, at least in my eyes, for me, when I tip, that's not kindness. It's like, I'm like, okay, well, this is something that I should be doing and other people are going to judge me for if I don't. Right. But I generally like to tip like, like 20% or whatever. And if it's really good, then I'm happy to tip more than that. 
it's an interesting but, um, sociology right. thing too because some countries don't tip at all right like germans come here and they're like what are you yeah. doing so it's almost like this pre-construct we have in our society that that's just what we do right exactly exactly it's it is it is as pervasive as 17 lands in magic the gathering and 40 cards yes it's that's true and it's <laughs> something we should probably take a deeper look at and maybe even change yeah for for sure but the bottom line the way that i like to you know run my dueling academy and the way that i like to live my life is that yes we do have these traditions we have these constraints and there are certain things that we have to do things that we should do but then outside of that um we should basically look at what we can do i think that it's i think that it's really interesting to just keep that sort of mindset that we're always trying to explore and question the realities that we have been presented and not to just uh, just straight internalize them as if we were some sort of robot. Do you like to put it into action? That's your, your, is that what kind of what you're saying is not, not just to think about it, but to actually act, act on it, do something. Yeah. I think that doing something is important, but I also think that is very valuable just to change your way of thinking mm -hmm. as well. Because for, for example, if it's like, uh, if it's like, so, if the earth rotates around the sun or if the sun rotates around the earth, but nothing changes to our actual life, is it important that we know that one is, one is the correct way and one, one isn't? No, it doesn't matter. See, so see, so I actually think it is important. Okay. So I actually think that uh, in the same way as magic, right? A lot of times there are a lot of half truths where it's like, yes, removal is good. But then the thing is that the removal is not the be all end all. Uh, where it's like it's very important to actually find synergy to find proactive ways to play magic and a lot of times on my seven wins are not going to have a single removal spell in it you know okay. Um, okay. or 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 say thinking or thinking about creatures for the most part creatures are removal right creatures mm -hmm. block they trade off with other things but if you think about uh, something like a Draenith stinger versus uh versus say like a I don't know what's like what's a good burn spell to uh, relate it to. Um, well, there's the uncommon one that's the number of instants in your graveyard, but then there's also fire fire prophecy. That's so good though. And then there's a uh, split spill over or something like that. They're all really yeah good yeah 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 set. flame spill or flame spill. Say 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 let's uh let's actually take the example from Guilds of Ravnica. There's a card called Inescapable Blaze, right? Yeah. Six mana, deal six. Yep. So people saw that as a card that provides reach, yet also a card that uh, that can remove a creature, right? So maybe you'll re you, maybe you'll remove a like like a watcher in the mist or something like that. But the thing is that they don't really look at a two drop, a two mana two two being reach and damage, right? Because the thing like okay, so a two mana two two is reach provides damage, yet it's also removal. So right. That's kind of what I'm thinking about, uh, or that's or that's kind of what my point is when we're trying to talk about things in a certain way. Where it's like, yeah, you know, we are living a lot of half truths, especially in Magic: The Gathering. But uh, having a more focused uh, view, having a more, um, I guess, wide angle, uh, like a more holistic, a more holistic approach to things, is going to actually be very valuable, even if. Even if essentially, uh, you know, it is the difference between whether the sun rotates around the earth or the earth rotates around the sun. Okay. So I'm too dumb to understand that analogy. At all. <laughs> so this is what happens when you get a sociology yeah. and a philosophy major talking to each other, guys. Then you just got me who only knows math and I don't know what they're talking about. But um, 
So when, oh, now I, for, now I completely forgot my train of thought. I was just going to ask you about, oh, removal. That's right. Okay. So I think just like humans evolve, you know, the game is evolving and, you know, I hear people from the old days will describe what it was like in limited and removal was so important because it was so hard to make good playables that sometimes your deck would only have like six good cards, right? Because the way that limited used to be set up is so many of the cards were just trash and now yep. we are getting so many good playables. So oh, maybe so many. we're just having this hard <clears throat> adjustment of getting it out of our heads that's been banged into our heads for so long that removal is so good. That said, I still think like Blood Curdle is absolutely amazing. Fire Prophecy is amazing, but I do think that removal is slowly getting worse as playables get better. Yep, definitely. So let me emphasize a little bit on that. I think that's, I think that that is certainly true. I think that Blood Curdle and uh, Fire Prophecy are basically the creme de la creme of the format. And it's very good removal, right? It's efficient. It does more than simply just remove a card. So that's kind of part of it as well. The inherent problem of removal in this day and age is, as you said, you know, creatures and threats are getting better, where a lot of times magic is going to be, especially in the, in the early to mid-game parts of the game, it's going to be just a resource battle where you're actually looking for ways to not go one for one, right? Like you're, you're, like you're looking for ways to go up on that. Like you're looking for ways to go two for one. And um, a lot of times creatures and these other threats are going to have some sort of ability. They're going to have... Um, this sort of persistent value on the board and therefore removal sure it's like yes you killed their big bomb or whatever but then you forget about all the other times when like you know probably some random creature would have just been better here so um building up on your points building off of your point on you know back in the day this is this might be the hottest take i have ever had this entire year but um <laughs> But I think that the sort of things that we know about magic, that we used to know about magic, the perspectives that we have and the experiences we had were during a time when people didn't play as much magic as they did now. Oh, sure. Just playing on paper, you, can just, you can't rip out the games as fast as you can now. Yeah, like in a normal expansion back in the day, how many times did I draft? So I would probably go to like three pre-release events and then I would draft like every single Friday at my LGS. And that would probably amount to like maybe like 15 limited events. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that is a huge difference for me right now. I'm probably close to like 150, 200 drafts in Aquaria. Wow. So, you know, you, you just think about the scale and the sort of perspectives. Like, you know, was Innistrad actually that greatest of all time format that we remember it to be? Um is War the Spark? If War the Spark or uh, Gil or, or or Ravnica Allegiance or even Akoria were back in the day, would people have that same sort of fondness that they had for Innistrad? Because the thing is that now we play it so much and we actually find like all the problems, the nitty gritty. Uh, it kind of you know makes me think of like a long term marriage, right? Where it's like where it's like you, you actually spend so much time with someone that you actually find all their imperfections and like you find like all their tendencies and stuff like that. Whereas, whereas back in the day, even when we played Innistrad, you could only really play it so much and you, and you have like this very, very purely positive um, per, perception of it, this positive memory of it. So I really wonder not only about if these formats that we're playing today are actually just 
potentially just get just like way better than any of these formats we played in the past or if um or if the things that we learned and the things that we perceived were actually just simply because uh there wasn't enough time or enough science and magic technology put into it to actually find figure out the nitty-gritty like we're doing here on the podcast today yeah, I do think the design team at Magic has been doing a very good job over the past couple of years. The only sets I haven't completely enjoyed and just loved until the very end were um, Fields of Ravnica. Uh, and, this, and this could be because I was doing bot drafts too. Maybe that's why they got stale. And uh, Eldraine. Other than those two, I feel like the last two years has been hit after hit for me. Even the M sets, I, I've really enjoyed the M sets. I'm actually looking forward to M20 kind of as a palate cleanser, getting back to really basic Magic again. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um... I think that all, I also think that the design team has been doing a phenomenal job, even with cycling in this format and Zenith Flare being an uncommon, which I do believe is an oversight. Um, it like magic has gotten so good. And one of the, one of the difficult things about that as a game developer uh, from, from wizards perspective is that you really have to, you know, understand that yes, even though you're doing better than, you were before you have much higher expectations now as well in the age of magic arena yeah. and um really really trying to figure out how you manage your content spreading it out over the three-month period from expansion to expansion is very important and i think yeah. that that is being done very poorly at the moment because um, sometimes it'll be like say at the beginning of Aquaria, right it was like or sorry even during the Aquaria spoiler season we had uh we had Cube Sealed come out of Magic Arena, which everyone was waiting for, yeah. right? And then all of a sudden it came at the same time as Aquaria spoilers. Right. And then Aquaria spoilers came at the same time as uh, the Commander uh, 2020 spoilers. Right. And then, and everything was coming at the same time. And then uh, Magic Arena, uh, Aquaria hits Magic Arena. And then we have, you know, Sealed there. And we also have a traditional best of three drafts and best of one ranked drafts. And it's like, all right, you know, sometimes less is more. And you really need to focus on how this narrative is being presented to your consumers, to your player base. Um, very soon, actually, it feels like that right now. Like right now, it doesn't feel like there's much to do, right? It's like, okay, well, Aquaria has been out for a while. And then now it's kind of dying down a little bit. And you can see that correlating uh, directly with Twitch viewership. What about, uh, do you think they're going to pop off the cube draft here to get us reinterested in the next couple of weeks? Or have you heard when that is coming? People told me that it was going to be in the first week of um, June. So that's okay. basically a month of now, like, okay. like a month from now. I'm and excited. I thought even the sealed format was a lot of fun, but some cards were just unplayable because we weren't doing pure synergy drafts. And I imagine that the drafts in this are going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. And I think that that's kind of my point is that they're doing really good things, but it's like they're doing it up to 90%. I think that in order to get it to the last 100%, you really need to focus on how you present it to the players. And you also right. need to think about um, like, okay, well, people are really enjoying Cube Sealed, but then obviously there are balance issues, right? There are like some cards that you just, that you just cannot beat. I don't know how many uh, seven right. mana Garricks I lost to. Yeah, <laughs> yep. and stuff like that. I found or... the five mana Ashiok pretty tough to beat in that format as well. Yeah, mm -hmm. Ashiok is a good one as well. And it's like, all right, well, the, the, well, the format is good, but then now what? You know what I mean? You always like, need more. Uh, once, you, once you do things so well and things start picking up, 
as a company, you need to actually uh, carry on with that. You know, you have a responsibility to actually uh, see that through, in my opinion. Now, uh, or Limited Resources recently had on um, one of the development guys from Arena. Um, I listen to all the podcasts, by the way. I'm a podcast junkie. And so, uh, okay, okay. Uh, uh, and uh, he mentioned a couple really interesting things. One being half of their games played on Arena are draft, which blew my mind, honestly. I thought that okay. that would be too expensive for the average player to uh, draft that much, but I suppose people do need to build up their collection somehow. And then there are people like us who just draft, 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 draft. Yep. Um, yeah, 50% of the people on arena are drafting, not playing standard. I thought it was more like 15%. I was blown yeah, away by that. Yeah, actually, that's, that's actually really impressive. Um, holy smokes, because yeah. the thing is that there's also this sort of pervasive perspective as well from the general uh, magic player or, or I guess the general magic community, especially for the newer players who are like, yeah, draft is just all RNG. You know, that's why like constructed where it's like constructed, you know exactly what deck you're building and you metagame and stuff where drafting is this year. You're at the mercy of the packs. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's how you feel that. when you're a beginner or maybe if somebody had just begun and they were describing it to somebody else, they would say, Oh, it just depends on what you open, but maybe that's somebody who wasn't very good or, or hadn't taken the time to get good at it. Um, who just didn't yeah. realize yeah. that you can really have a lot more agency. And it's, and it certainly is really hard to say as well. And I come from a very privileged position where I'm like, Oh wow. Even so now that I watch a lot of like the people that I used to really, really um, look up to in the past when I started playing magic and, you know, I, I used to watch like a bunch of content creators and stuff and I'm like, wow, I can't believe my opinions differ so much from, from theirs as well. Mm. You know what I mean? I'm like, well, I think that this is a little bit inefficient. I think that they should be doing this. Like this pick here is a little bit better. It leads you down like a better um, uh, potential route. And I, and yeah, it, it really is hard. And I don't blame people for, you know, having these sort of misconceptions or these sort of, um, you know, thoughts about limited or magic in general, because uh, once again, it's very hard to pinpoint like where the skill is and where the, uh, where like the luck is or like the unluck. You know, I've actually gotten a patron question recently about, um, you know, somebody who came back to magic and just found like, Hey, limited can get expensive if I'm doing this a lot. And so uh, one way I think of it is how many games you do get to play because they want to know how, like how much money do you spend? Well, frankly, I, about every three months I have to pump about a hundred bucks in, but I play okay. a ton, right? Mm -hmm. I play a lot of limited. I play every day. I put in a hundred bucks about every three months and yeah, I don't get to keep these cards forever. You know, I can't even dust them, but I get to play so much magic. Like imagine oh, yeah. I bought a box of cards or I went to F and M's. Yes, I do get to keep the cards, but I play like 50 times more magic the way I'm doing it now than if I did it that oh, way. Yeah. So for me, it's worth it to put in that money. And again, that's a place of privilege too, that I actually have the income where I can have a hundred dollars every three months yep. to put into this, to make it my form of entertainment. But it really is my entertainment. This is what I do with my free time. This is how I, you know, spend my money. I think yeah, that's why, I'm sorry, sorry, yep. I think that's why you see the numbers as high as they are for, 50% that's where their bread is buttered for, for magic online. Right. I mean, uh, magic arena, that's, that's how they make their money. Right. Drafting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I, I think so as well. I think it's very interesting for sure. Um, I think that 
Man, Magic is in such a good spot right now. Even though, even though like the numbers on Twitch are certainly like a lot lower than other games, um, it has been like the resurgence of it has been very, very good. And you can tell like when a set is good. You know what I mean? Yes. Uh, during 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 Eldraine, uh, Magic was an, at an all time low. My morale was at an all time low. <laughs> I was upset every single day. Didn't want to get out of bed in the morning. Didn't want to stream. Didn't want to either mill or be milled with the bots. <laughs> did, you, did you enjoy that the first couple of days? Because I enjoyed it thoroughly. Like the first two days of milling people out, I'm like, oh, this man. is a lot of fun. But it, it did, get a, did you enjoy it at all? I don't remember who I milled out. I believe it was Jamie Topples, where it was uh, during the streamer event. I had like my double, my double clover out and, yeah. uh, and with like my five secret keepers or whatever. Oh. and uh, i mailed her out and at that time it was hilarious it was like, <laughs> oh my goodness desi's breaking another meta again and 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 uh, you know how on my channel like people always make fun of me because i because i have a very very strong um a very very strong uh what the heck is the word um opinion uh you, you have a, a a perspective that you stick to and you you don't let the uh viewers like tell you what to do is that kind of what you're getting at you don't let them call your plays for you i have a to a demir okay so oh, sure, sure. in most formats i love playing blue black like blue black is the way i like to play magic you know i like to have my i like to be aggressive but also controlling i like to be yeah. able to like uh decide how the game's playing out you know, which is why I think the cycling deck, even though it is like so powerful, it, it is very deep because you get to pick, uh, you get to control whether you're the aggressor or not very often at the time. Um, but uh, in, you know, like in Eldraine, I played so much Demir. And then um, at some point after, after all of the mill stuff became mainstream, yeah, it was, it was very upsetting. And the Twitch numbers really did show that. I think that uh, after that was, wait, was M20 after that? No, it was, uh, it was Theros after that. Oh, Theros, sorry, Theros, which, yeah. Which maybe it was because Eldraine felt so bad, but when Theros first came out, it, it might have been one of my most positive first yep. impressions of a set. For Just sure. loved it. Um, yeah, for sure. And, and that's what I like to call the, the Dominaria effect. So Dominaria came at a time that was like... Oh, yeah. Ixalan. That was like after one of the darkest ages of magic, <laughs> yeah. you know, Ixlon, and then it came, and then it was like right before M20, and it, oh, sorry, uh, before M19, and that's why I think most people have a very, very positive um, opinion of Dominaria. It, if you actually go back and play it, you're like, well, this format actually kind of sucks. <laughs> I, I don't right. know, man. It's, I mean, it's not my format at least. Caligo Skin Witch. That's all I, I just keep remembering. Every time I go to a flashback of it, just draft that card. Just remember yep. to draft that card. Yep. That is my baby. That's why my favorite card of the set as well. So. Oh, um, the kick Skin Witch. <laughs> yep. The kick Witch. It's broken witch. actually. It's broken. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, well, um, as, as far as Twitch numbers, you know, I, obviously I can't predict the future, but I do like to look at <clears throat> overall trends. And I do think that we're going to be seeing Magic take even another step. We already mentioned the Netflix show earlier. That's being mm -hmm. done by the Russo brothers, or at least produced by them. Those are the guys who did the Avengers. So we're looking at a big deal here, something that will probably be fairly well done and get a lot of eyeballs, um, as well as uh, I don't know how they're going to do it. I still have a hard time believing it's going to work, but this thing is coming to mobile. They've said it multiple times. They said sure. this year it's coming it to is. mobile, and that's huge. 
that opens up this game to so many more people that this game could literally triple in popularity by the end of this year. That's not like, like not outside of the realm of possibility. Yep, yeah, exactly. I think you could take into consideration, and we talked about this uh, last podcast too, where the with it, just the timing of the the COVID and them putting this online at the um, you know just it it came couldn't have come at a better time for them and people forced to stay at home and they need something to ex- expand their brain and this game does that in so many different ways so uh, yeah I, I I think that there's a huge likelihood for that to happen uh, I love yeah. this conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> so my viewers and I were actually joking potentially in poor taste about uh about like you know conspiracy theories and we're like wait uh, hold on is there like some chance that like wizards you know had some sort of hand in this entire pandemic thing because <laughs> absolutely you know, like death corona and so that's and what i'm talking about death cc people came here from mars with a panspermia <sighs> meteor and they started working at wizards of the coast see it's all coming together <sighs> now it's like it's like you look at the cards. There's like gloom pangolin, sanctuary lockdown, bastion <laughs> of remembrance, and you're like, wait, oh, wait no. a second here. And and uh, okay, okay. So here is the deal. Here here is the point that seals the deal, right? So think about this format actually being played in paper with yeah. all the mutate counters right. and first rate lifelink counters and all of these things that are mutated under things and like the, where the cards are in the zones. You have a companion over here. You have like red white cycling over here and people are counting the graveyards with zenith flares and stuff like that like is this set really playable in paper you know, isn't this isn't the set just created for online only so hmm. right right we touched on that a little bit oh, too man. yeah that's, that's awesome i love that thought too Ooh, the only reason why this is playable in paper is because those comic book art versions look so sweet i collected yeah. comic books a lot as a kid and some of those uh variant arts just really hit my Get my uh, nostalgia bone. Oh yeah, I think the Wizards is doing really good on that front. Um, one, so one thing that I will say, and I'm not sure if, if y'all know this, I don't talk about it a lot, but um, back before streaming and stuff, the way that I made money was basically like esports consulting and doing like market demographic research for uh, for esports companies. Yeah, so yeah. I so I have a lot of insight into like companies and like how you're supposed to approach. Uh, the psyche of your um, consumer, you know, like in the same way that I approach magic. Uh, so one one of the things that I will offer if, you know, if there is any Watsi staff out there listening or whatever, is that I'm convinced there so is. Well, is that they're doing so well in terms of the actual game. Um, you really have to focus on the small things like stuff like uh, interface. You need to focus on like uh, your scheduling, your communication, and that's really going to have a somewhat of an ampli- and, and uh, exponential amplification effect where it's going to basically take all the good things you're doing and make it better. And without that, you're actually losing out a lot. So you really have to be careful. And the growth of magic, uh, magic, I believe, will still grow, but um, the extent to which that will grow will really, really depend on how carefully you uh, curate a strategy like that. I could see that, like adding some polish. Yeah, po- polishing exactly. things a little more. It's um, small things. So I'm thrilled that you are not running away from us right now after two hour of a conversation, but my <laughs> wife, uh, on the other hand, is not gonna let me go more than 10 more minutes because she's gonna start doing Zoom calls and we're gonna start cutting out on each other. And she's gonna say, why can't I talk to my coworkers? It's so, all good. Thank you so much for having me. Um, it's felt like, honestly, it's the same as when I'm streaming, you know, whenever I'm in my element, I love just 
chatting about stuff and it's felt like 20 minutes. So I want to say, and I'm not just saying this, I don't get out of the house much, you know, before COVID I would go to my local game store about every other Friday night. And I did meet some friends there and it's kind of the group of misfits, you know, it's the people who don't deal well, great normal society kind of get together (laughs) on Friday night magic. And they, it's kind of like they band together. And honestly, I've felt the same way with you um, being locked up in my house now for a month and a half. I haven't (laughs) talked to any new people except for honestly you and a couple other people we podcasted with. You are my new friends. And I honestly mean that I've really enjoyed talking to you. Um, I was uh, honored the first time you decided to come on. And when you immediately said you'd come on again, it's just really special. And I, I hope we're really building on something here. And I appreciate you as a person who knows maybe someday we can either even get together in real life and enjoy some nice food or something like that. Yeah, let yeah. me keep on that. Let me keep on before you get to say anything. Sorry, and you get to trust me, you get to. But okay. I got I got to keep on that too. Um, I, <laughs> I cannot tell you how much we appreciate it, and uh, just your your general sense, your ability to speak to people, your attitude, your thoughts, just willingness to share, and even something I want to bring up that you said last time. Maybe it didn't ring a bell as much to me as it did to other people, but. You know, I was at the end of the conversation, I was just saying, I wish you the best. I wish you, you know, you could be the very best at magic you could have possibly be. And you said, well, yeah, yeah, but a lot of other things too. And I didn't really think about it. I thought it was just kind of a comment, but I thought about that. And it's so true. It's, it's, it's not just being limited to one thing. And, and you're definitely not that type of person. It's obvious that you're multifaceted. And I'm so glad that we get to touch on just little different pieces of your facets and, and see how the, the depth of, of Desi. But um, yeah, it, it does feel more like a friendship. And I'm really, I'm very grateful for that. Uh, just you know, allowing us into your life like this, Desi, is pretty fantastic. Thank you. Dude, guys, thank you so much for having me. It's always a blast. And, um, you know, I'm also enjoying myself as well. And, uh, you know, thank you guys for putting up with me because I know I am an asshole. So. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much. It's always a pleasure. All right, brother. <laughs>